0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne,
1: truly independent community radio. Hello, and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Today on Backstory, our guests take us from murder in the ice flows of Greenland to a moving story of the devastation wrought by bushfires in Victoria. Ella Holcomb, author of the incredibly moving children's book, The House on the Mountain, will join me to talk about her tribute to those who lost homes, All Lives in the Black Saturday Bushfires and how she turned her own family tragedy into a story of renewal. That is, later in the hour... But very soon, Mads Peder Nordbo takes us to a chilling crime scene in the heart of the Arctic, set against a backdrop of Danish colonialism in Greenland, Inuit culture, political intrigue and very dark family secrets. The world developed a huge hunger for Scandinavian noir in the wake of Stieg Larsson's epically popular posthumously published Millennium Trilogy, making its flagship book an eponymous hero, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, household names. And just as Larsen's had investigative journo Mikael Blomqvist at its heart, contemporary crime author Mads Pedder Nordbo also sweeps us into his latest book, or his first book in English, I should say, The Girl Without Skin, through the eyes of Danish journalist Matthew Cave. Like many noirish heroes, Cave is wracked with grief and guilt. He's cynical and hard-bitten. But when what at first seems to be an epic scoop, the discovery of what could be a mummified Viking trapped in the ice in Greenland, instead leads to a very much modern-day series of gruesome murders, Cave is forced to confront some increasingly complex political twists and turns. The book touches on some extremely interesting uh, areas, Danish colonialism in Greenland, Inuit culture, political intrigue and some very dark family secrets. Not to mention introducing readers to the indomitable Dupanark, a strong Greenlandic hero who but I can't really give too much away. Mads Petter Nordbo joins me in the studio now. Mads, welcome to Backstory.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: And welcome also to Australia. I understand this is your first visit.
2: Yes, it is. And it's so wonderful here.
1: (laughs) I think think we were discussing a little bit before this, uh, before we came on air about just the the dramatic difference in climate uh, that you're experiencing coming across to Australia from Greenland where you live.
2: Yes, I, I believe it couldn't be more different as it is. It's like being coming from Pluto to Mars or something. As yes, Greenland is an extremely close place and Denmark is a close place, and we have long winters. And uh, here in Greenland, and uh, in in Australia, it seems it's warm all the time.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we definitely have cold, but I don't think it's really cold on the, on the bone chilling level that you managed to capture in your book. I do really want to talk about the setting of this book because I'm really struggling to think of many books in English that do talk so uh, exactly about... Greenland, um, and I was really interested that the real entry into this book is through uh, through a journalist who's being asked to cover a political debate. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about that because it immediately does what all the best crime does, which is kind of take you into a crime book where there 's the crime and then there 's the kind of underlying real big societal crime at the heart
2: yes so for me when I write I think that the the actual crime is not uh, the main thing for me it is the human and and, and the human natures and and what, what what drives them and what what makes them as they are so 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 for me the, the human nature and and the persons are, are more interesting than the as the crime <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, the political backdrop to this, though, is uh, really the fact that um, Greenland was, uh, and in, to a certain extent, remains in many ways a Danish colony. Yes. Uh, and that is something that really is, is what kind of is part of the fabric of this book and the fabric of Greenlandish society. Can you talk a bit about how this plays out uh, within the context of your book?
2: Yes, as I can say that Greenland has been a part of Denmark for the last 300 years and uh as it is now, they have a home government, but uh, it's, they are still a part of Denmark, and, and most of the Greenlandic economy and the military in Greenland are Danish. So uh, it is a very big issue in Greenland because many Greenlanders still would like to be totally independent from Denmark, and uh, that gives some uh, political unbalance uh, in, in the country and uh, problems between Danish politicians, politicians and, the, and the Greenland politicians. And then you feel that uh, in all the society. And uh, naturally, that uh, uh, colours the people.
1: I would like to talk about your hero, uh, Matthew Cave, which is a great name <laughs> for a um, for a Noirish hero. Um, he kind of he seems, you know, right from the beginning. You get obviously very, um, very specific about the the kind of trauma that is really motivating his quite sort of cynical approach to journalism talk about Matthew and where he came from because I know obviously you've been a journalist so I'm sure that you've been drawing on some of your own experiences (laughs) especially being asked to kind of cover things for you know fast turnaround um, digital news sites etc.
2: Matthew's world in Greenland is uh just uh, actually, as as my own world, so so the things happening to me, many of them have happened to me, and and his uh, colleagues are my own colleagues. So, uh, but, but but he is uh, a bit more sad than me normally because he he lost his uh, young wife and unborn child in a, in a car accident, and uh, that's the reason why he went to Greenland because he was so sad and 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 full of sorrow inside so he has to do something completely different with his, with his life and uh, actually his dad his father was uh, a uh, what's called soldier and on, on the tulip base so so he thinks, let me try greenland and and see what happens and he's sitting there in greenland and feeling a bit too sorry for himself i would say but then things begin to to go fast and they find this uh Mummified the uh, Norseman in the ice, and uh, people start dying. And Matthew meets uh, Dubanak, and and suddenly his some kind of energy uh, grows in, in inside him again
1: it's really um it's a really interesting story as well. I sort of found it fascinating that um that the kind of centerpiece of this at the beginning is the discovery of a supposed Viking uh from an original settlement uh before the danish colonization yes. there's something kind of dark about that as well. Why did you choose that as your way into the story?
2: oh I always loved the, 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 the this, this viking uh, period of in in Denmark and norway and uh and, and Scandinavians were in Greenland uh, for more than four hundred years, uh, from year 1000 and to uh, 1450. And it was a very interesting uh, time. And we don't know much about the Scandinavians living there, but they were just like uh, the Icelanders. And then they suddenly disappeared uh, from uh, from Greenland. And there is something mysterious about uh, the the Scandinavians uh, disappearing from Greenland. So
1: it's a literal cold case in that instance. Yes, it as well. is. It is. But very quickly, the uh, the action kind of moves into this uh, much more modern-day murder mystery. Uh, and we're introduced to Dupanak, who I think uh, many will pronounce as Tupanak because yes. of the, the spelling of of her name in the book. Talk about this character because, really, um, th- she was just it for me. I, I was so won by, by her, um, by this character and, you know, where she was going. Can you talk about her?
2: Just a strong young woman she has, has she has had a, a very hard childhood uh, uh, with abuse and and, and rape and uh, that uh, destroys people but and she has been to prison for many years uh, for killing her her father uh, and and uh, uh, when we meet her in the book she has just been released actually for a couple of weeks ago so so uh, she has been imprisoned most of her life uh But she's a very strong uh, character, and uh, actually I built her upon uh, three of my own uh, friends in Greenland who has had uh, similar backgrounds as her, so so she's kind of a a puzzle of three of my own friends. Uh, And uh, I'm quite sure that she's the one in the book that I I like the most, the person I like the most myself in the book, because uh, it it was actually uh, for her, uh, for, for their sake, I wrote the book.
1: Uh, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm joined in the studio today by Mads pettit Nordbo, the author of The Girl Without Skin, uh, which is out now through text publishing, uh, an incredible Scandinavian crime book, uh, but one that really does... I think, uh, kind of carry on the legacy of Stieg Larsen in the sense of having a journalist at the heart and really some of these wider political um, and human issues. Uh, I do, um, I don't want to leave uh, Dupanak because I'm really, um, I. I and I also don't want to give away any of this plot but there was a part of me that's hoping that this book um, is going to lead to a few more books and that perhaps we may see someone like her or, or her and maybe come into things through that perspective. Um, this this was a single perspective book um, throughout uh, most of it um, Really, we were coming through the eyes of the journalist. Was that a deliberate technique you used to kind of, you know, build up that sense of what it's like to sort of look in on other people's lives?
2: Yes, but I don't think that I actually thought about it. It's just the way, the way that I write. But uh, it was a bit difficult for me in the first book to, to write about Dubanak because uh, there are so many feelings. Uh, 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 in, in me too uh, for for children and, and grown up like her, but uh, there there are two more two more books uh, uh, with Dubanak and Matthew, so uh, well, we're not going to we're news. not going to leave her like like this. <laughs> uh, there are two more books, uh, and uh, in both of them we are uh, following Dubanak and Matthew. Uh,
1: I'm quite relieved to hear that. Uh, I do want to talk a bit about um, you know the whole notion of of writing crime, really, because there's some you know weird, when we're talking about writing in particular genres that have definite conventions that people expect yes do you feel freed by those or do you feel a bit bound by those at times um and what do you do to both because i think this book very much sits within some of the traditional conventions uh we have at the heart this hard-bitten very cover-esque sort of character um a journalist who who is really the kind of detective of the book um but who's got you know their own sort of brokenness inside they're trying to deal with um and we have like the the murder mystery and then the greater kind of crime, but you do turn things on their head at times while playing with those conventions. Talk to me a bit about that and and how you feel both working within it and constrained by it.
2: Uh, as a, regarding genres, uh, it is it is one of my uh, has been one of my main problems in in Denmark where where I come from because I am not uh, what can I say true. Uh, to, to the genres I, I, I write as I like. I don't uh, I don't think this is going to be crime. this is going to be be uh, normal fiction. I, I just write as, as it feels. And then sometimes I'm, I'm going a bit around in the genres because I, I like different things. The only thing I don't write uh, in, in, in these books are, are medical realism because that would be a bit too weird. So.
1: <laughs> there is a, this underpinning element of um, the the mythos, um, the Inuit kind of culture and yes. their belief systems that, yes. you know, they're, they're certainly touched on and they're certainly kind of that, that is part of the fabric of the book as well.
2: Yes, it is. As a, I, I lived in Greenland for four years now and. Uh, I do I do love uh, the the old uh, traditions and uh, and the mythical things in in Greenland it's very exciting and some Greenlanders still uh, fully believe in, in all that
1: Absolutely. Are there any other sort of uh, elements that you think um, people will find really fascinating about Greenland that are very specific to that area? Obviously, um, uh, one of the things that I found incredibly uh, visceral in this book was the descriptions of hunting and, um, you know, how that kind of plays out. Certainly there's a there's a, a scene, a very crucial scene, between uh, Dupinac and Matthew uh, where they go out sealing. Yes. And I found that... You know, an incredibly uncomfortable thing to read, but also one that that doesn't play out the way you yes. expect.
2: That's because when I started writing the book, I wanted to show uh, people both uh, the dark side of Greenland and the beauty side of Greenland. And I actually think that uh, hunting is one of the beauty things because it, it's done in a very natural and and uh, old fashioned way. Uh, and, and and this seal hunt is uh, just as a seal hunting is. And and when you are on your first seal hunt, you have to, to taste uh, the warm liver, and that's how it is. And uh, uh, yes, I like the the, the seal hunting scene yeah, there,
1: too. There is a, a, a quite um, for those who are uh, sensitive. It might might be something you want to know about. But um, you know, a tradition of of tasting the you know first caught sort of seal like liver while still warm from yes. the catch. But there is something about that about like you know an honesty of this is the food that we're having and being up close to it. Um, but you know, it's not. It's not played out in a cliched way. It's a really interesting scene, and I think there's a lot of this book that you know you're really starting to to kind of examine the perceptions of the broader culture that maybe Matthew comes from yes. um, as he gets deeper and deeper into really knowing people in yes, Greenland. Yes, because
2: he is a Dane and he doesn't know about these things before he comes there. So, so it is new for him. But with, with the with the cold, the climate, and and the way of hunting, and it is kind uh, kind of brutal when, when with the seal hunting. But it's how it is, and has been so for for thousand years. And in the, in the third book, actually, I do it. I have a, a whale hunt, and that is even more uh, brutal scene from our point of view. But uh, for a Greenlander, it's uh, it's quite normal and, uh, and has been so for forever.
1: These, um, this book is a, a really uh, interesting insight into uh, into some of Greenland life and culture, but it's also a crack and crime book in many ways for those who do enjoy that. Um, you keep it clopping along um, with yes. a fast pace and, and there's a lot of uh, human interest and connection here as well. Um, Mads, when are we likely to see the uh, follow-up to this book for those who have already gotten their hands on it and are keen to find out where these characters go
2: next. I believe before Christmas. Ah, <laughs> uh, great. In, in English. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's good to know. Um, well, Mads, I wish you uh, the best on the rest of your tour. Thank I believe you. you're still headed to Adelaide, is that right? Yes,
2: Adelaide and then uh, Sydney.
1: That's great. It's, a, it's quite the whirlwind tour of Australia. Uh, well, Mads Petter-Nordbo, thank you so much for joining me on Backstory today. Thank you. That was Mads Mads, Petter Nordbo, the author of The Girl Without Skin, uh, his first book in English, but the first of many it seems there's going to be another two coming out um, by Christmas one and the other, who knows, Uh, stay tuned for that. Um, Coming up next, we are going to have uh, something from a very different climate, something much closer to home. Uh, Ella Holcomb is going to be joining me in the studio to talk about her extremely moving children's book, The House on the Mountain Talking about some of the issues around those who lost their homes during the Black Saturday bushfires in a way that's accessible to children.
2: Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone.
1: Now, no one can forget the devastation wrought by the Black Saturday bushfires. 173 people were killed. Many more lost their homes. Ella Holcomb was one of those affected and on an extremely personal level. But she and illustrator David Cox have turned her family's experience into a really beautiful children's book. The House on the Mountain is really stunning, honest, heartbreaking, but ultimately offers a sense of peace and renewal. Joining me to talk about her lovely book is Ella Holcomb. Ella, welcome to Backstory. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. Uh, I have to say, I I was incredibly moved by this book, and I think in all the right ways. Um, In a sort of way, I felt like this was a book that I needed to read uh, that anyone who's experienced any kind of Mm -hmm. trauma or loss uh, could use reading Um, but especially um, for those who want to talk to children about some of these difficult issues. Yeah. I want to ask you why did you decide to write this book and and why is a children's book? Um,
0: I just I felt a really strong pull to write something for um, coming up to the 10-year anniversary Um, and a children's book is just it's just kind of the way it ended up coming out um I I have a poetry background um but I yeah I wanted to write something a bit more kind of accessible I think than than poetry about it and um yeah it was also a way to just be able to you know have a a nod to my childhood
1: absolutely it kind of it was sort of interesting because reading this I was reminded again of just how kind of you know how perfectly sometimes children's literature can really capture these, um, these quite seemingly difficult and complex uh, mm. issues. And I think, you know, there is that, that sort of sense of poetry throughout the book uh, that you really managed to capture. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Did you find anything, um, you know, in particular in making these choices mm. about what you were saying, did you find any kind of, any kind of things that you, you thought, how do I say this? In what way do I say it? And and what choices did you make with that? Because there was one scene in particular that I'd love to read out and yeah. I'm really interested in, um, you know, in what you chose to say and how you chose to say it. Okay. um. Will you read the scene? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I might read this because okay. one of the things that, that's at the heart of this book, and just to sort of give people a little bit of background, uh, this book was, is written about a family who live in, I believe it's King Lake, mm-hmm. um, and they live, you know, in a this really wonderful sort of bush setting. Um, but, you know, the, the house burns down and uh, they are forced to sort of live with a, a family member and deal with the aftermath of that. And things at school change for the yeah. kids yeah. and... Um, It's seen through the perspective of of one of the children and she reflects um, about, you know, the people who... uh, I'll read out the sections. In my class, there are two kids who don't come back and in assembly we talk about all the kids and teachers and families who will never come back. There are photos of them in the hallways surrounded by flowers and teddy bears. Sometimes I get tired of seeing their faces and I just want to forget. In class, I sit with my pen, not quite touching the paper, frozen. And I just thought this is such a wonderful depiction of a child coping with incredible grief and yeah. something that maybe she's still trying to get her head around yeah um how how did you kind of come to your your mode of writing about this mm. because it's that is just mind blowingly moving but <laughs> and and incredibly evocative, but written in this very simple um, way directly to children how what was your process for for writing this
0: I guess I mean this was a a harder section of the book to write, and I didn't want to, yeah, there were words that I didn't want to use, and I wanted to leave it not open but just uh, just somehow quite gentle, so that um yeah, I imagine for a lot of kids they might be reading this with their their parents or someone older um and I also there was also an element of the little girl who I imagined to be about eight um of maybe her not quite being able to say it either um
1: yeah yeah it's really it's and I've gone I'm so sorry to just dive you straight into the emotional heart of the book but But it really does kind of (laughs) illustrate just some of, you know, some of the ways in which this book kind of brings to life, you know, the very real impacts. It also has this kind of like, I have to say right at the start, you set this scene of an incredibly hot day and the kids are sort of lying on the floor getting fed grapes um, or feeding each other cold grapes, I imagine from the freezer because we've all done that. Um, They're kind of like, they're sort of loving it. They're lying out on the trampoline in this like incredibly warm, Warm night just staring up at the huge mm. stars so mm. there's this sense for adult readers that you know that something's about to happen because it's so hot mm. but there's also that that kind of moment in in childhood and in all of us that you know there's something about those sort of savagely hot mm. evenings that actually is quite attractive yeah. Um, yeah that leads us into this you've captured that really beautifully oh thank you yeah I
0: guess i was just thinking about kids like i remember as a kid just being excited by anything kind of out of the ordinary um you know like the really really hot weather or the really rainy times where i don't know we couldn't go to school or whatever um and just kind of you know just making the best of everything as a kid
1: yeah absolutely yeah uh If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm talking to Ella Holcomb about her lovely and incredibly moving book, The House on the Mountain. It's a children's book uh, and it covers the Black Saturday bushfires or one family's experience of that. Um, It's illustrated really beautifully uh, by David Cox uh, and Ella, I'd love to talk to you about these illustrations. They're really gorgeous. They're amazing. Can you discuss um, yes. <laughs> uh, talk, talk a bit about them and and how did you and David come to have this collaboration? So I um,
0: was uh, well paired with David Cox through um, Ellen and Unwin, um, my publisher, um, and he he lives up in Brisbane. He's he's actually. Eighty-five, I think. And he did all of these illustrations digitally. Um, he also did them in an incredibly short um, time frame. Because when Ellen and Unwin said yes to the book, we only... We had a very short time to get it done, to have it released in time for the 10-year anniversary. So he did them in a really short time, all digitally. Um, it's his first book that he's done all digitally. And he was also um, he also let me send lots and lots of um, of my old family photos of the house and of our family to him, and he worked a lot from those which is pretty pretty generous i reckon
1: <laughs> they've kind of got they're all sort of done in this um look like they've they've been kind of sketched or painted yeah. with these these sort of uh paintbrush edges um yeah really just uh you know the the images that sort of take us into the the fire zone are done in these kind of ochre colours colors yeah that are with vibrant kind of reds and um yeah, they're that
0: incredibly atmospheric really it's amazing
1: what he's done very yeah. very beautiful yeah um I do. This kind of brings me to the end note which you put in and I think, um, you know, an incredibly um, moving story that that really does contextualise the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. I think it gives an opportunity as well for uh, adult readers to make a decision about how much of that story to share with younger readers. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that, about the story, your own story that brought uh, this book to life in the first place? Yeah, for sure.
0: So my brothers and I Actually, lost um, our childhood home and both of our parents um, in two thousand and nine in the in the bushfires. Um, so, at the end of this book, so so the story of the book is the a family, young family who loses their house and then they move back down the mountain and then move back up to rebuild. Um, obviously, my actual story is much different, but I decided, or um, yeah, I decided to put an end note in to explain what actually happened um and I'm really happy that we did do this partly because it would uh, it just would somehow feel would have felt dishonest to not include that I think um yeah
1: yeah. I I think look it's really I think it also contextualizes some of the stories that that you touch on throughout the book which is that this is one family's experience and ultimately gives this beautiful sense of renewal which you know even after a deep grief or loss um, yeah. people do get that opportunity to have but I think and we were discussing this a bit um off air yeah. um, I've had a, a you know a very um big family tragedy mm-hmm. happen as well mm-hmm. and having to communicate with younger people about that um, yeah. sort of requires that honesty but also tact yeah. you know and yes. I think that that I that you've kind of really achieve that with this book oh, uh, especially because the family do um get an opportunity to see that there's life after loss yes um yeah but i think yeah that's a, a really beautiful way of doing it um just for those who who are wondering what happens with this family in the book they they move back up to the property and when we leave them um they're sort of watching the structure of their house being yeah. rebuilt yeah um, which is a very nice metaphor i think for you know we never forget um yeah what what happens in a trauma mm. but we build around it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so much of the the story is actually kind of drawn from my mine and my brother's story in that you know, we were up there very soon after the fires. We had all these amazing working bees and we're now Well, it's taken us 10 years, but we're now rebuilding ourselves. So, um, yeah, we've kind of got half a house built up there now. Yeah.
1: And I have to say, reading this, uh, yours is a voice I want to hear more of in children's books. That's good to hear. Um, I'm hoping that this isn't the last book that you'll be putting together, especially with um, the wonderful David Cox. Yes, yeah.
0: I'd love to work with him again. That'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I do really want to recommend this book and not just to those who have young people in their lives um but for those who maybe um have you know experienced anything that's like this or, mm. or want to have a reflection on yeah. on the anniversary of the black saturday bushfires i yeah. highly recommend this book ella holcomb thank you so much uh, for thank joining you. me today thank you very much uh, if you were just listening to that interview uh, i was speaking with ella holcomb about her wonderful book the house on the mountain illustrated by david cox uh, it's out now through Alan and Unwin, and um, it is uh, recommended for younger readers, but certainly older ones will benefit from it as well. Three, triple, uh. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show, Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more?
0: Check out our website at rrr.org.au.